millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Hi, everyone. I'm John Verhoeven, and I was a cop back in Sydney in the 80s. And I'm Paul Verhoeven, John's son. I'm an author, and I wrote two books about Dad's time as a cop. The first five seasons of Loose Units spanned my time in general duties, forensics, my time as a firefighter, and even my stint running a funeral home. But this season, we're visiting the locations of Australia's most notorious, baffling, horrific crimes, and looking at what happened there. From Snowtown to the family, from the Morehouse murders to haunted highways, This season of Loose Units is your go-to guide to the worst crimes in Australian true crime history. Welcome to Loose Units, The Shadow Files. On the night of February 24th, 1978, four men went missing. Actually, five went missing, but the fifth was never found. Here at Loose Units, we have an incredible community of people who listen all over the world. There's so many of you out there, and basically this season, Dad and I have been looking terrible, terrible cases that have happened in very, very specific places. And we got a message from one of our listeners recommending a story. I'm going to read this, Dad. This is from David Fenn, one of our followers on the Facebook page. Hi, Paul and John. After listening to your episode on the Dyatlov Pass, I thought you might be interested in another case, the Yuba County Five. Five young blokes in California with mild intellectual disabilities went missing on their way home from a basketball game. And I won't read the rest of the message because he kind of outlays what we're about to talk about. But he says, thanks heaps for the podcast. It's brilliant. And he links the story. Cheers, David. Anyway, I didn't actually know about this story. And I sent you a link to it. And you almost immediately messaged back and said, yes, we have to actually explore this case. Dad, we are meant to be exploring crime scenes and crimes around Australia. And we we strayed into Siberia for the Death Love Pass episode recently. Yeah. But this feels like a really interesting case for so many reasons. Now, it's 1978, it's February, and there's been a basketball game, and a bunch of young guys go off and watch the game. So could you walk us through why this case is so strange and exactly what happened on that night? Mm. Well, let me just um, paint a picture for our listeners. Mm-hmm. You're in Melbourne. Yeah. I'm in Sydney. Mm-hmm. We have had over the last 48 hours some of the most terrible weather and as I'm sitting here by myself with my head between my hands the weather outside is borderline cyclonic it could be comfortably described as a bit of a cold snap right it's but also it's dark yeah and miserable mhm and I'm sitting here in my makeshift studio, looking at a picture here of the five, the five guys, yeah. and that's it's it's disturbing to know because when you can put a you know a, a 
sort of a face to, with a name and see these guys that were really, really good friends or great friends. Now, four of them had intellectual um, disabilities. You know, disabilities of varying degrees. Bearing in mind that one of the four was the owner and driver of the vehicle, which is a very important part to this story. But Gary Matthias, he was ex-military. He, his, if you wanted to sort of categorise his condition, yeah. is that he had schizophrenia. Okay? But he was of sound mind and body in terms mm-hmm. of, you know, he was a... a a pretty normal person who was well medicated and his his doctor had said in relation to this particular case that he was an exemplary person who was taking all his meds and it's really yeah. important because you know as the story unfolds Paul I guess if you were a family living in a small community and these these collectively these five guys um, you know, they were sort of they had a reputation as being tight, close, good friends. Mm-hmm. I mean, played... Matthias was Matthias was he was um stationed in West Germany, mm, yeah, in the seventies, and yep. he was on two medications, I believe, which was stelazine and cogitin, and like you said, apparently he was he was being you know he was he was he was going very very well, basically. Correct. But but the the sad thing, one of the many many aspects of this story that I find quite poignant is that he had the he has never been found and in a small community families need to apportion blame and that is problematic in this story because he's never been found you know members of the other families of the other four it's it's human nature and then what happens is that the media then they 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 go deep and they look for as we all do possible reasons as to how this incredibly bizarre story unfolds but there are so many things about this story that i find disturbing and mysterious hence it being it, it's it's one of the great mysteries so matthias i was Trying to kind of figure out what kind of a person he was before he went missing, because obviously that's important. Like he said, he was diagnosed with schizophrenia. Um, he was discharged from the army. And then he went back to his folks' home in a place called Yuba City, which is, you know, this is called the Yuba County Five. It's because it mm. all takes place in Yuba City. Mm. Or near there, rather, outside. And he was being treated in a hospital. And uh, according to this, he was he was almost arrested for assault twice. Mm. And he was. He, he had some. some ep- yeah, yeah. yeah. He had some episodes that saw him ending up in a veterans' uh, hospital, mm. and then obviously by 1978, which is when this happens in February 1978, he's being treated on those two medications that I pointed out. Mm. So let's talk about this group of friends. Mm. Well, so have we named the boys? No, we haven't. No. All right. So I think it's important and respectful to to talk about, you know, at least their names. So there was Bill Sterling. He was 29 years of age. It was Jackie Hewitt, 24. He was the youngest. Ted Weir, 32. Then there was Jack Doc Madruga. He was 30. And Gary Matias. 
He was 25. Now, on this Friday night, they're going to a basketball game and it's really, really important to talk about this. It was February the 24th and they go to this game. It's it's a fair way away from you know where they live, but the thing is that the next day, which is really important, they were going to participate in a week-long tournament that was sponsored by the Special Olympics. Now, the winning team was going to get a free week in LA. Now, these five guys were so excited. Let me just read this from this piece in the Washington Post. This is only a few months after all of this went down, Mm. okay? They were men, really, not boys. Hewitt was the youngest at 24 and Wyer was 32, but their families called them boys, our boys. They lived at home. Three of the five had been diagnosed retarded. And again, this is from 1978. So if there's any kind of lingo in here that does not fit, it is, this is literally a quote. Madruga, although undiagnosed according to his mother, was generally thought of as slow and Matthias was under drug treatment for schizophrenia, a psychotic depression that first appeared five years ago and that his doctor said had not resurfaced for the past two years. Now, this next bit's pertinent to what you're saying about the game. They were supposed to play a basketball game of their own on February 25th, part of a tournament with a free week in LA if they won. Their clothes had been laid out the evening of the 24th before they left for Chico. Each had a beige t-shirt, the words Gateway Gators emblazoned across the chest from the Yuba City Vocational Rehabilitation Center for the handicapped where they all played basketball. Wire had stopped... Wire or Weir? Weir. Weir had asked his mother to wash his new white high-top sneakers for the tournament. He had scuffed them while trying them out. Matthias had just about driven his mother crazy with the game. We've got a big game Saturday, Matthias kept saying. Don't you let me oversleep. I mean, this piece is very fresh. Mm. This Mm. is fresh. But suffice to say, Dad, yeah, they had a very, very big thing to look forward to after the game, right? Mm. Mm. Paul, as an aside, because of the research that I've been doing, which has been pretty full on pretty deep and I really enjoy it I've taken copious notes you know I sit there on the lounge I've got my little setup and I just go into the zone and I go deep and one of the disturbing things is that this organization that was you know interested in helping you know people with disabilities the guy that set up this particular organization that was organizing the basketball the the founder of this particular organization one night, there was a knock on his door, and when he opened the door, someone threw petrol on him and lit him. What? And he burnt to death. And I say this because it's obscure, but what it does, it shows the times and how people felt about having an institution. It's always that story about not in my backyard. And this was an organization that was trying desperately to help people. And here's a fun fact, because there's a very, very interesting story that we will touch on. I don't know whether you've heard about it, and it could be a red herring, but there is a story that when they left the game, we all know, and this is a fact, that they pulled into a particular store around about 10 p.m. Have you have you read about this? No. Okay. And they wanted to pick up some, not supplies, which is very important, but just some snacks 
for the trip. Bearing in mind it's it's late at night. The girl that served them, she was particularly, I'm going to say pissed off because she was trying to shut her, you know, sort of close the business down for the day, you know, reconciling. And then these five guys come in mm-hmm. and she was so, look, she just wanted to get home. But there's a story that, and it was well reported in the local media, yeah. that there was a brawl at this at this shop huh. involving the five guys. Now, I mention that because back in the 1970s, if you were regarded as retarded or had, had you know, sort of learning difficulties and it was fairly obvious to, to people that were in the vicinity, you had a six times greater chance of being assaulted or bashed. So and by brawl, by by brawl, they mean maybe these guys were roughed up by locals or something. Yeah, by like locals. That. In, okay. in the, in, that is an interesting story. That's it's buried very, very deeply and is not mentioned in a lot of the reports of these of this quite famous story. But mm-hmm. it's it's something just to think about. So the boys, you would think after a big night watching a game, it's a Friday night. You'd think knowing that. You know, they, they all live at home. They like routine. Why didn't they go home? Why did they drive 80 miles? That's a hell of a distance. That's like driving from, say, Sydney to Newcastle. Or, I mean, it's, 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 it's about 120 kilometres in the opposite direction. So that is troublesome. Yeah. Now, hang on, just quickly. Was this the convenience store where they stopped off and got the food? Some of yes. which was found in the car. Okay, correct. Yeah. So, yeah, so the ga- the basketball game finished at about ten p.m. Mm. Right. Yeah. And then the five of them stopped at this store to get a bunch of basically like junk food. Junk uh, food. According yeah. to this piece, hostess pies, soda, candy bars. Mm. Then they got, and again, this account of that brawl is not in most pieces. You're right. No, it's not. So. Instead of driving towards their homes, because they all lived in about the same area, which is about 50 miles away from this uh, the store, they drove east instead. Correct. And they drove east for a long time. Hmm. So... Um, yeah, then they, um, they turned off and they started heading up into the mountains. Where it was snowing, these guys are not prepared, even though two of them have a military background. Not one, two. Now, if you've been in the military, you understand survival. That's that's it's drummed into you. And they're heading into this. They're not prepared. The vehicle is not not suitable. They go up this this sort of a mountain road that is one of the um, the sheriffs described the path as diabolical. It was so dangerous, so rough, so so many potholes, so many rocks. It was absolutely incredibly difficult to traverse in this particular vehicle. Bearing in mind there are five grown men, five adults, in a car that would have definitely made it sort of a lot closer to the ground. That's a given. 
They drive and at a certain point in time that night, just before the snow line, they stop their motor vehicle. They exit the vehicle and that's the last time they, I guess, were with that vehicle. And then we will delve into what happens because it's not for four months. It's it's late June. Bearing in mind, this was February. So, Dad, one person who may have been able to shed a little bit of light onto this case, his name was Joe Shones, and he was 55 at the time, and he was from California, and he was driving his Volkswagen down near a place called the Rogers Cow Camp in the Plumas National Forest. And he was checking to see if the weather was good enough to bring his family along for uh, a bit of a like a trip the next day, basically. Mm. Yeah. So as he's driving in the night, uh, the snow drifts, which you mentioned, mm. um, because the weather was shocking, they start to kind of get up in his tires. So he gets out of his car and starts to push it. And that mm. instigates a like a pain in his chest, which was, as it turns out, a heart attack. Mm. And he's miles away from anyone else. And he sees two sets of headlights. One uh, is from a pickup truck, Mm. um, so which he tries to flag down. In the pickup truck, he apparently sees, and I quote, a group of men, one woman, and a baby. So Mm. he keeps walking. And then a few hours later, he's back inside his car. And I'm reading from this article. He saw what he thought were flashlights. When he went back outside to yell into the darkness, no one responded to the sound of his voice. So that's weird. Mm. Hours into his ordeal and with his car still stuck and now out of gas, Shones felt well enough to begin walking down the mountain road and toward a lodge roughly eight miles away. He passed a 1969 Mercury Montego, but the vehicle had no occupants. Perhaps Shones thought it belonged to the group he had seen earlier. So that, it turns out that's the car belonging to the five of them. Mm. And uh, it's entirely possible that the flashlights he saw belonged to the five. Mm. Which means technically he's mm. the last person to see them alive. Correct. But Paul, there are so many fascinating things about this guy. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds. And they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volure XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Wow! Nice! Yeah! 
What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. So he, he goes up the mountain to scope the situation. Yeah. So that he can then bring his family mm. to a cabin yeah. for the weekend. Now... He knows the area. As you say, he, his vehicle gets stuck. He gets out. He thinks he's having a heart attack. Yep. It was officially diagnosed a few days later by a doctor to say, because if you have a heart attack, there's a certain enzyme that is released into your body yep. and that remains and they can, they can sort of prove beyond a reasonable doubt that, you know, yes, you did have a heart attack. But he says that he was lying down and he... He said that there were two vehicles, okay? It was two sets of lights. One of the sets could have been the vehicle the guys drove in. He talks about a pickup truck. Now, that pickup truck, one, there was an, a store employee that had discussed with the police, this is so fucking frightening, that two days after they'd all disappeared... This store employee said that four of the men pulled up in a red pickup truck. She identified them immediately. And she described them as out of town as and weirdly she said they had big eyes and facial expressions, which is kind of weird. Does that mean that everyone, all the locals have small eyes and no facial expressions? I have no idea. That's bizarre. But the police went on to say, because then the manager of the store also concurred with the, um, the member of staff, the police said that they were very credible witnesses. So that's weird. And she identified the actual people, Hewitt and Sterling being two of them. So that's a bit of a mystery. But here's another thing, Paul. There are so many things that are just so weird. He says later on, so there were two separate incidents that night. There's the pickup truck with another vehicle, so the two sets of headlights, which can mean pickup truck behind or in front I'd say behind because you have to ask yourself how do cars get around each other but then later on he says that there were people forget the cars there were people with flashlights he gets out of the car and he starts shouting out to them but according to the reports or his story these people were only 20 feet away from him that's eight meters that's nothing that's the size of from your entrance to your flat pole to the balcony and you're that's, saying that they so the the assertion that they didn't respond is really odd it's really odd because you have to go into the history of these five guys they've with great research the mm. families said that these five guys were very very much into helping people there are so many recorded cases historic cases of these five helping people they they were they were good people. Can you imagine? And here's the thing, listeners: where did they get the three torches from? That's not that's not right. That's not normal. You don't have three torches in a car. No one has three torches, and yet 
these people were supposed to be sort of all shining torches around. The guy gets out of his uh, his his Volkswagen and he says that he shouts out to them and he said, the lights went off, everything goes dead. I mean, what on earth is going on here? But there is a theory about this and that this particular gentleman in the V-Dub who I find, I find it problematic, his whole version, but because he gave two completely separate versions to the police, that in itself is is problematic. So but, either he's lying or what he saw was genuinely very odd. I agree, right? Paul, but there's a, okay. there's a third possibility. Right. And that is that he was actually hallucinating under the guise of this, this, this medical trauma. But then what happens is he then eventually, because he's run out of fuel, because he used the last bit of his fuel to keep the car going, to keep him warm. And then he, of course, he's completely sort of compass mentis. And then he knows that if he just walks down the hill, he will come to a lodge, which he'd passed, and everything will be sweet. He starts walking down the hill, this we do know, and he says that he walks past the blue car. He sees it there. So that means that the blue car that came up the hill Mm -hmm. stopped quite possibly because the guy's Volkswagen was blocking the road. But here's an interesting aside to this story that I find particularly fascinating and because there have been theories that they were pursued from you recall I mentioned that incident down at the at the shop where there was ostensibly a brawl that's literally the only explanation I can think is that somebody led them into the woods or something but now, okay Paul so based on that dear listeners think about extreme terror fear you're being chased particularly if they're in a perhaps a pickup truck imagine that you turn off and you start heading up into the mountains on a shitty road okay the police examined the car it was immaculate Mm -hmm. underneath the car zero dings zero scratches zero scrapes and get ready for this no mud the theory from the police is that it's virtually impossible to have got that car up that far up this shitty country, very, very, very um, difficult to traverse roadway, like a path, without damaging the car. And yet the car was undamaged. No signs underneath, which is extremely weird. Either A, the person that was the driver had an intimate knowledge of that road, bearing mm-hmm. in mind it's night time, and the boys had not been up there one of the boys had been there eight years before and had a shitty time and basically said to his dad, I never ever want to go back to this creepy place. So the car thing is, is slightly mysterious. Um, and just I'm just thinking on the run now. I mean, if this other vehicle is a is like a pickup truck or is it could it not be a tow truck? I don't know. I mean, that's that's that that is one mysterious aspect of which there are many to this story. Um, is it 
I've, I keep seeing threads online before we kind of go further into the chronology. We keep seeing threads online, I do anyway, about Gary Matias as the possible perpetrator of, mm. of something here. Yep, I don't yep. entirely buy that just because I think, I don't know. I don't know. It just doesn't seem completely right to me. No. Um, and he'd been medicated. He was yeah. There was there was also like like we've encountered. There was also a deep prejudice against people with mental illness. So mm. I don't really you know. Yeah, but he'd been uh, on the straight and narrow for two years. He hadn't taken his medication. Um, the coverage that I've seen seems to say that he had enough medication back home mm. to get him through. So basically, you can go to the game and come back. That's plenty of time. I think there was like a ten hour window. With, with, if he'd gone straight back home, it would have been about ten hours uh, before he got his medication again, which apparently was totally fine. But a lot of people were saying it wouldn't make sense for him to... Okay, let's say they actually plan to go somewhere. Let's say that's what the torches were for, right? Mm. Let's say that actually secretly planned to run off or something. Or they had, you know, they, they were planning on running away or whatever. Mm. The torches would lend credence to that theory because mm. you would bring them if you planned on hiking off somewhere. Mm. And the lack of medication would, would do the opposite because he would bring meds. Right. Mm. If he knew he was going away, he would have brought medication, which he didn't. Mm. But Correct. Paul, I don't like to jump ahead too much, but I will say this: that a long time later, the police found what is very likely to have been the torches. But with the torches were three blankets, but those blankets were survival blankets that are issued by the Forestry Commission. So what does that mean? Well, we will we will tease that down the track. Okay. Because um, but... the thing is, look, the thing is, it's there is an unsolved mystery element to this case, mm. obviously, because mm. Gary was never found. We're talking about the fact that, you know, the others have been found. We're going to get to the... Oh, we're going to get to that part next week, but we just really want to kind of build this thing up. Look, mm. the whole heart attack thing from Joe Shones is fascinating. Mm. Not a lot of this makes sense. No. Uh, I'm not sure what you listeners think as to whether it's true or not. I would like to go more into Mr. Shones. Yeah, that's what I said. No, I know you said it. Mm. I'd like to... I'm going to try and get some more, do some more research on him because I just find him something's definitely odd. Mm. And the fact he gave two versions, um, you know, really what he was doing was foolhardy, you know, going up by himself to just check out the snow line. I just think that's, you know, do you really have to do that to sort of, you know, elicit that sort of information? <laughs> That's an in- look. It never occurred to me that you know that he might be sus. It never mm. occurred to me that heading up to check the weather might be an odd thing to do. Mm. But I guess it's seventy-eight. Maybe you actually do need to go up. Maybe he was up there for another reason, which he can't disclose, mm. and then everything else is true. Yeah. Right. Yeah. But well, we know that he did have a heart attack. Hmm. That's a fact. Yeah. Um, I just think it's what, just... Uh, yeah, it's fascinating. Yeah. Can we it's, talk more about the, this brawl, this apparent brawl, mm, right? Yep. I mean, is there any more information on this 
event. Well, it made it made um, it made the local paper. Okay. In fact, it it's literally has a a name which I I don't the, the name eludes me, but it had sort of a almost a it, look. So many locals were interviewed, and it became sort of oh yeah, the such and such a brawl that took place on that night, where locals basically just you know lashed out, and it, and and it was fisticuffs. It, it was a brawl. And if that's true, then the boys would have got in the car, yeah, and they would have hot-tailed it. And Paul, it's almost like has sort of feelings about a lynching. That sort of that terrible thing where you know people are being chased down, but it doesn't. Then, I mean, what about the condition of the car? It'd be completely... If you were being pursued, you wouldn't give mm. a rat's ass about protecting the car. You'd be going hard and fast and and there'd be rocks flying and debris and mud and there'd be panic and, and just it'd be a complete shitstorm. Uh, that's not the case. The car arrives at its final destination and it's mm-hmm. immaculate. Yeah. So that's... I don't buy that. It's It just doesn't make sense. Well, last week when we when we talked about the um, the Dyatlov Pass incident, we were very confused about the um, you know about why that would run off, and there were several uh, kind of there were several explanations that were provided that all had a degree of truth, but none of them completely made sense. Correct. But the fact that the bodies were found, look, we hmm. four months I, later, and when when we yeah. start to talk about that next week, Paul, mm. I mean, in my scale of fucked up. It's getting close to a 10. It's really intense. So, yeah. okay. In and summary, yeah. in summary, 1978, five people with varying intellectual disabilities, best friends, all living at home, all kind of really, you know, like well-known and they've got a whole bunch of basketball stuff to look forward to. So they kick it off by going to a game and then they drive in the opposite direction from home and then the car is found. They are not. But next week on Loose Units, The Shadow Files, we will deal with what happened once the snow thawed in July of that year and their bodies were found. And at that point, the mystery really kicks off. Mm. So thank you so much, everyone, for listening. And thank you very much to our wonderful listener for recommending this story. It truly is an absolute head scratcher. And we will get to the bottom of it next week, by which I mean we will continue exploring it. I would be shocked if we could actually crack this case on the show. But thank you so much for joining us for another episode of Loose Units, The Shadow Files, where every week Dad and I delve into strange, terrible cases from incredibly odd, distinct locations. You can go to these places. You can probably go to the store where this argument happened. You can probably go to the past. But, mm. I mean, it's just... Well, it's... of all the stories we've done, mm. um, this is one story for some reason. I don't... I can't quite understand. I don't understand why I feel this way, but I am drawn to this. I'd really, really like to go and visit this place. It to me is really just, it's something about it. It's, you know, it's just got, it's got all the ingredients for, for a sort of, sort of like a, an encounter that is, you know, and, and look, it's a mystery. Why is it a mystery? It's a mystery because no one knows what the fuck actually happened that, that night mm-hmm. and I think that's I kind of sometimes feel in a way that we I know we've discussed this before Paul but 
are we not kind of weirdly benefiting from these incredible stories, no matter how macabre they are? Yeah. You know, but I find this particular story really, really fascinating. On the one hand, it's history, right? We are exploring mm. history. Mm. On the other hand, it is... You're right. It is something terrible. I always struggle with this with true crime. Mm. You have to make sure that you're not kind of getting off on the on the gore and on how true. terrible things are. I think mm. what we actually want to do is to solve mysteries, mm. right? Mm. At, our co- at, at its core, what you want to do is... And that's why I talk about... You know, my desire and your desire to be a detective so much mm. in Electric Blue. Mm. It's because, yeah, you want to solve mysteries. Mm. The the terrible cost is that the bigger the mystery, the more tragic it often is. Agree, so, agree. And that's I, why, I, yeah. Sorry, but also, Paul, what I've noticed with the research that I do, the, the fascinating, and we'll touch more on this next week, the mm-hmm. fascinating... Really, really, I find quite profound clues are often glazed over by people because they seem to be so insignificant. I have come across a few clues in this particular case that you, on first reading, you just glance over them. They just, they're just a part of a sentence. They don't seem to mean that much. But then when you go back and actually study this particular sentence, for example, sometimes buried in this this mass of, of detail are tiny, tiny clues that are so interesting. But what one also needs to remember when you are looking at so many different stories about a, the same story, what I have noticed is that factually there are variables all over the shop. It's very interesting. Mm. about people's, you know, the way from a journalistic perspective, how they write, how they put a story together. Are they bringing in their own biases? And you have to sort through all that. And I think it's this is a really, really fascinating case. Well, next week we're going to get even deeper in that we're going to talk about what we're going to talk about what happens once the snow thaws out and four of the five bodies are found. So make sure you tune in next Tuesday for Loose Units, The Shadow Files. And make sure you tune in this Friday for a necessarily frothy and light episode of Loose Units, Loose Ends, our spin-off podcast where every week we talk absolute shite. Anyway, thank you so much for joining us for another episode of Loose Units, The Shadow Files. I'm Paul. That's John. We'll see you soon. Bye. Cheerio. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Normally, being a little extra can be a bit much. But when it comes to healthcare, it pays to be extra. And United Healthcare makes it easy with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they supplement your primary plan, helping you manage out-of-pocket costs without the usual requirements and restrictions like deductibles and enrollment periods. So when it comes to covering your medical bills, you can feel good about being a little extra. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quinn's. 
Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.